Thank you for downloading this episode of the Nerd Ball Podcast. Live from my basement, as always, I am Lorenzo Melcher, the host of this podcast. If you are new, check us out on all our social medias. Uh, if you search on Twitter or X, it's the Nerd Ball Pod. Facebook and Instagram is the Nerd Ball Podcast. I'm on TikTok, uh, so subscribe there at the Nerd Ball Pod. Look for my stupid face on the red logo, and you will know you're in the right spot. If you're listening to this on any Apple or anything like Apple, Spotify, um, Google, any of those things, make sure you hit subscribe or whatever it is to make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast. Uh, it's going strong for three years now, have over 200 episodes. So it's very, it's exciting. And so keep uh, keep uh, doing everything you do to help this podcast. Uh, also the YouTube page, check out uh, Search the Nerdball Podcast on YouTube to find all the videos there. If you want to see our faces as we make each other laugh or cry or anything else. Um, I've had some people say they prefer YouTube because they like actually seeing expressions. So check that out. We have been getting a little more views there. Um, so let me know what you think. Subscribe there. Hit that little bell. All the stuff that you do to help the podcast is free. So uh, thanks for doing that and um, getting notifications on your phone every once in a while. So this podcast uh, coming up with, with uh, my guest is Justin Marchand. He was great. Uh, as I say about all my guests, because they're all great, uh, talked about learning how to play the guitar, being in the military, having five daughters. It's all there. It's all ready to go. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hi, I'm Justin Marchand, and this is the Nerdball Podcast. is the Nerdball Podcast with Lorenzo Melcher. Awesome, Justin. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Lorenzo. Yeah, the uh, the apparently elusive Justin Marchand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scheduling conflicts. No, you're good, man. You're good. I get it. I get it. I, actually, I was thinking about today. I go, I think I might have canceled once with you, too. So <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I hope so, because that'll make me feel better about myself. <laughs> we'll just say that. Flaky. We'll just say that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Thanks again, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I I always have one question I ask everyone is uh, to start out. What is something you nerd out about? Something you're really into? A hobby of yours? Something that gets you away from daily grind stuff? Just something that uh, either you do it by yourself with your family, something you've been doing for a long time, a hobby you picked up, cooking, you like watching movies, whatever. Like, what is something that that you that you really nerd out about? I'm glad you started with an easy question. <laughs> Guitars. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's what I've been doing my whole since I was 12 years old. I'm uh, passionate about guitars, and you can surprisingly surprisingly go down the the nerd uh, obsession of guitars to include like their components and the types of wood that they're made out of, and it gets pretty deep. But yep, guitars and music. So, is music has that was that just because you got in, interested in it when you were 12, or like your family, friends? Oh, uh, my dad was a musician growing up. I didn't live with him, so interesting. Uh, interesting fact is he lived up here in Perrysburg, Ohio, and I lived in South Carolina when I was younger. And I called him up over the phone. I would talk to him like weekly. I was like, Dad, I want to learn how to play guitar. So um, the first two years I took guitar lessons, he taught me over the phone. He mailed me a book and I had a guitar in my location in South Carolina. And he would say, all right, study pages one through five this week. And then I'll um, back before cell phones they were like the landlines mm -hmm. um, do like weekly guitar lessons. And I just kind of ran with it from there. And have loved it ever since. How do you how do you teach somebody how to do it through the phone? First of all, I feel like you have to be a really good musician to just hear 
hear it right because a lot of it a lot of it when you're in person you can say oh put your finger here or your finger's supposed to be here but when you're just hearing it it's got to be pretty difficult it, uh thinking back um it, it, that was probably like 1996 or 1997 so that's really before that we had easy access to the internet and stuff yeah. um it wasn't very difficult he mailed me the book the book was uh just a very basic beginners like um how to read music and things like that so it was easy to understand and um before we would he would give me like pages one through five and i would say i would kind of read over them and ask any questions and i'd say no i understand this and i would just practice uh he he recommended practicing like a half hour a day so i would do that and um the next week uh seven days later he was like all right i want you to play what you learned on pages one through five so i would take the landline set it down on my lap by the guitar play and he would have a book with him so he was kind of following along and he would tell me uh like good job or you made some mistakes or some things like that. And surprisingly it, uh, easy, it was easy to develop that way. Um, now, nowadays you have YouTube and all the technology and stuff. Yeah. So I can't imagine anyone doing that nowadays, but that's a pretty cool part of the story, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know if your relationship with your dad was, was this, I mean, if you had a good relationship, I'm sure this is something that build upon that, but if you, if you didn't, because you lived far away, I'm sure this helped that too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I always admired him when I was a kid because I would see him. I think when I was, I was super young, maybe three or four. He would take me to like his band practices. He was in like rock bands and uh, um, watching that. I think it was just kind of, uh, kind of turned me on to music early on. But yeah, it uh, helped you know strengthen our relationship and um, we bonded over it ever since. And I mean, we're now at the point where we sometimes play gigs in local bars and restaurants together. So oh. that's yeah, man. That yeah, that's that's great. That's uh. Because you never know what's going to happen when you know your your parents are separated and 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 how that's going to work out because it's a lot of work and and it's not the kid it's not on the kid it's a lot of work is on the parents like it's 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 your job and, and he you know was teaching his son how to play guitar over the phone man that that's a that's a lot of work yeah I can't yeah thinking back I never really thought about it from his perspective it had to have been a lot of work especially where he was with a full time job and trying to maintain that but we did it for yeah probably two years straight. And then my whole goal when I started was like, I want to be a better guitar player than my dad. Cause you know, he uh, could put the guitar solos, rock, rock guitar solos and stuff like that. And it never made sense to me. And I was like, that's my goal. That's my end state is to be as good or better than him. And uh, yeah, we did, we did that for about two years before I kind of just took it off on my own. Where, where are you at on that goal? Uh, I think you would have to ask him. I think I've surpassed him. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> after playing for you, it, that wasn't uh after a while, that wasn't my goal anymore. It was just like enjoying, enjoying what music does for me. So yeah, yeah. What what was your um, uh, what was your first guitar? Uh, my first guitar, the brand I think was Regal. So my stepdad that I lived with in South Carolina had this old guitar that he had learned on, um, and oh, it had to have been forty or fifty years old at the time. So it was just a beater acoustic mm -hmm. guitar. Uh, but I'm glad I learned on it because. So for people that aren't familiar with guitars, this is my I, I'm me. I am not. So the um, if you can see here where the strings are, yeah, very distance to the uh, fretboard where you have to press down. You don't mm -hmm. have to apply pressure on the guitar that I learned on. The strings were probably maybe a half inch off the fretboard, so it took a lot of strength to mm -hmm. press. Down. At that time, I thought it was normal, so it really strengthened my hands learning on that guitar. By the time I had, like upgraded to a, a decent instrument uh it, it helped me so much like wow i don't have to press so hard my hands are actually strong now and 
I built the calluses on my fingers and stuff from those old rusty strings, but yeah. <laughs> How, uh, so your stepdad played music too. Um, what, how, what was his involvement in you learning? Was there any, besides like, here's your, here, you have this guitar. He wasn't as much of a musician. I think he played a little bit when he was a kid, but he really turned me on just to listening to music. Uh, uh, he was into a lot of the oldies at the, in the nineties, I guess oldies were music from the fifties and sixties. Now I don't really know what we consider oldies anymore. <laughs> uh, some people consider eighties music, I guess, but yeah, I was like, I like the Motown type stuff and older fifties uh, and sixties type music. So he kind of inspired me for that route while my, my uh, biological father was inspiring me from actually the instrument itself. Well, it's good to have like two, two, I mean, it's music, it's all music, but they aren't competing things that are happening. Like one is physically showing you, teaching you how to play the guitar. And the other one is like, Hey, listen to this thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And they were, my father and stepfather were not friends by any means. They, I don't you know, they didn't necessarily get along, but yeah, those two, like you said, you just mentioned how it's about like when parents are separated, it's really about the kids and uh, their welfare and thinking back on it, like. I just I just have positive memories of them um, kind of sharing music with me. So that's cool. That's cool. What, yeah. what about what about your mom? Was she involved in music at all with you? Uh, kind of the same. She wasn't a musician, but she turned me on. She took me to all my first concerts. She took me to like um, in the '90s, Aerosmith, and I think when Kiss did one of their ten reunion tours or whatever, she took me to see them. <laughs> that was mind blowing. I was I wasn't like a Kiss fan of their music, but just the theatrics and the production they put on their show was mind-blowing so she exposed me to a lot of live music and that was that was life-changing for me yeah that's cool like whenever i mean you're you're a dad now and, and you know i try to give my kids experiences that you know i would hope they remember and maybe they do maybe they don't but some of them are gonna stick i, I you know i remember some things my dad did for me and, and my brother and sisters and even you know for me it's more sports related and you know he would take us to cleveland indians at the time he would take us to those games and we got to watch uh, Cowboys games when we we went, I think we went to one when we were in Texas one time and like all these experiences that we get to have. And, you know, I think we try to do that now, especially my kids are getting, our kids are getting older. So uh, it's harder to buy Christmas presents. So we, we we're trying to figure out like, all right, let's have experiences because I think those might mean a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, something my wife talks about a lot, like rather than just material gifts, uh, sharing experiences with them. And I'm very, I try to be uh tuned into that as well like always being conscious that everything you do with your kids like I remember things from my childhood that my dad or my parents are like how do you remember that it's just like some <laughs> yeah. kids and always trying to have your great experiences with them because yeah when we're gone eventually one day we're going to be gone and that, mm-hmm. that's what they're the memories so. the memories and they'll get to see their dad sound like an idiot for over 200 episodes of a podcast so yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what is this by the way say that again I'm sorry which episode number is this? So you will be 208. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I did, and, and it's out by now, uh, but I did decide that I'm only doing one episode a week from now on. Um, and it might not be, you know, for forever, but it's, uh, it's if anything, it gives me a little bit more time back because it is time consuming. Even, even yeah. this weekend, I had two podcasts yesterday and two podcasts today um, just to try to get you know, and it made me feel better because like, all right, I recorded four podcasts. That's a month worth of worth of podcasts right there that I already recorded, you know, so it, it is a lot of time. Uh, and I still have the three different dads podcasts I do with my two knucklehead friends. And so it, it's it's just, you know, to go along with the experiences, it's just having that time, you know, now, you know, it may seem like a simple thing, but, but 
it just dawned on me a few weeks ago, like my, my Mateo plays video games and he'll ask me, sometimes he'll ask me to play with him, but sometimes he just wants me to watch him. And I remember when I was playing video games, I would do that with my dad too. Like, Hey dad, can you watch, watch me do this? You know? And, and that thought of like, yeah, this is just something that he wants me to sit there and watch him talk to him about it, you know, laugh with them or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. What you're doing too, as well. It's, I see, I see a lot of parallels with what you're doing and what musicians do. Um, and I recently watched, I didn't watch the entire podcast, but the one with George Smith that he did recently, haven't seen or talked to George in probably like 10 or 15 years. So watching that, I didn't know he had a child. It was, oh my God, it was really cool to watch. I was cracking up. He's talking about how you, I think you asked him the question about like, what are you nerding out on? He started talking about praying mantis. (laughs) (laughs) What? It was great. Dude, that was wild. That story was wild. I made a TikTok out of it. I've been doing some TikToks too. and, And that, yeah, that was, that was a wild story, but, but it's good to like, it's hey, thank you for you know for listening to the episode and, and it, but it's good to like hear people talk about it and, and you know because I want people to hear what I'm hearing like all these things are are cool to me like I love information and even yeah. like even it might seem like a simple thing to you or or maybe not but just like having hearing your dad teaching you how to play guitar over the phone is wild to me and it's like it's it's it's, it's like a cool story and like you know wh- wherever you go with music you have the story like yep this is how I was I was taught to play music you know a long time ago we had phones you know. For sure. And it's cool. They're taking, you know, information, as we all know, like with social media and the way the Internet is today, there's so much like negative or false information Mm -hmm. out there. And and you're doing something positive with it, putting positive information out in the world and entertainment as well. It's great, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, You you mentioned I think you said that pink guitar was your daughter's guitar. Uh, Is that is there's always a balance of like wanting your kids to enjoy what you enjoy because you want to enjoy it together but also like where's the where's the line of like i'm forcing them to do this like wh- how, how is it f- with your daughter like hey here's a guitar you want to try it? or hey dad i want to learn how to play guitar yeah i'm at the point now where it's uh so i have five daughters and they're all different ages and uh I- <laughs> first of all hold on first of all five daughters <laughs> is crazy to me but like, go yeah, ahead <laughs> we'll definitely talk about. i'm at the point now where their ages are three five seven nine and fourteen so I had to, had to prepare that because I always screw that up when people on the spot. But uh, yeah, their ages are all over the place. And uh, I haven't got to the point where uh, I'm not like pushing it on them at all. I put instruments around the house and talk about music and they see me playing all the time. But I'm not I've never uh, I don't really try to push it on them at all. I'm going to see if they naturally spark an interest kind of like I did. Um, and I think they some of them have started to express that yet. We haven't really gotten to formal lessons, but I show them things here and there and uh try to uh when when i hear their types of music that they listen to like it's like modern pop and things like that i'm not really into it um but i'm trying to remember like when i was a kid like i was probably listening to things that my parents weren't into so i'm trying to trying to really uh get into their stuff so i can look you can play this little melody from your pop song guitar and and then also not um i don't know if i'm the best teacher but like when i teach them things remembering that they don't know anything about this instrument it's foreign to them I've been doing it for you know, 25 or 27 years or whatever. So I don't want to, when I do jump into teaching them, I don't want to overwhelm them. Around, so, well, yeah, that, that's a good point too, because my, uh, my, one of my uh, assistants at work, she always says teaching teaches the teacher. And I learned that too. Like you have to start from zero and then maybe it kind of reinforces some stuff you know, that, that you either forgot or like, oh yeah, I should reincorporate that. Or they ask questions 
that you never really thought of anymore because you you figured that out 20 years ago and you know it, yeah. it just reinforces ideas and it gets you thinking a little bit more and you know they learn better because you're learning also yeah and it's i mean it's a test of patience too like just having five always a test of patience but like <laughs> you have to deliberately like slow down like deliberately slow yourself down when you're trying to teach things like that yeah but, my, my my dad always said when when we had mateo you know, he was just a baby, but we were just talking about life in general. And he was like, you know, however many kids you have, they're going to ask you to help. Like they want to help with whatever you're doing. And it's going to take three times as long, but you have to, you have to let them help because at some point they're not going to want to ask anymore. You know, yeah. they, they, they want to be involved and they want to help and they want to do all this stuff. And, you know, just like podcasting, Lillian loves to do it. Like she, like she'll, she'll ask me like that. Can I come on? She, we have, she has a podcast called the princess pod. Uh, so, so she'll come on like on the end of episodes sometimes. And, uh, just because she, she likes to do it and she, and she's really good at it. She likes to talk and, and, you know, I can have conversations with this little nine-year-old girl about, about things, you know, and, and it's fun. And, and so I, you know, and, and you try not to push that stuff just like we were talking about, but the same thing with football. Like I had people ask like, what if Mateo doesn't want to play football? I was like, well, then he doesn't want to play. I'm not gonna be upset about it. Like he's, you know, as long as he's involved in something, some sort of club, he plays an instrument, he's doing another sport, just be involved in something. And, and that's, yeah, you know, that's exactly. yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but it like is. you want your kids about what you're passionate about because mm -hmm. you're about it, but they're different people. Yeah. And that's sometimes that's hard to remember, too, that you created this little people, but they're they're unique in their own ways and they may not like the same things that we like. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned a few times about the music you listened to growing up. What is that? What what music did you like listen to? Let's say let's say high school, a little after high school. I've always been open to. I think it's because of my uh, parents and step parents and extended family have exposed me to so many different types of music that it has. It's never been one genre. So okay. like rock music, um, all decades. I love I love '90s hip hop. Like two. If anyone asks me right now, like who's your like top three musicians uh, Tupac would be one of them I love Tupac poetry I love how passionate he was when he delivered his uh verses um Stevie Ray Vaughan Jimi Hendrix just kind of like all over the board um and even some of the genres like there's a I'm sure your listeners will understand what when I say the term use the term bro country it's like yeah these modern country that's uh it's, it's heavily produced in these professional studios studios and things like that that's probably one of my least favorite genres but they're still a bunch of songs I like um, that I hear out of those genres. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of like musician names and band names, but <clears throat> that bro country, there is somewhere I like it. I like the sound of it, like the beat, like, cause I like rap music and, and hip hop. And, yeah. you know, so I like the beat and I like rhyming. I, for whatever reason, like it, it catches my ear and it sounds really good. Like it just, I don't know. It's, it, and it can be real simple and sometimes approximate rhymes, you know, you have to use approximate rhymes but it, they're so clever like Lil Wayne's does that quite a bit and but it, it like to me it's so clever and I don't know it, it's just something I really enjoy listening to yeah so yeah same here and I've learned a lot about like that genre specifically how like the producers are you know Jake Kaluski I know he's your brother-in-law and yeah they have a lot and learning how some of the stuff you hear on the radio these days is uh it's designed um to affect people that way there's algorithms and there's all kinds of, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's wild. But um, some of yeah, to me, sometimes I like hearing deep, you know, songwriter type stuff where it's just someone that pours their heart out in acoustic guitar. They've written the music, they've written the lyrics. 
Um, and it's just from a human. It's like that human connection. And then I also sometimes I like just like to hear the fun, carefree, bro country party stuff. R&B, <laughs> it's not it's not exclusive to country. Every every genre has its commercial stuff you hear on the radio. But yeah, I like everything, man. Good. Right. Yeah. I, you know, when you're talking about lyrics, uh, I, I like emo music. I, I was into emo for a long time and, and I still that's some of my favorite bands. But I love listening to like Taking Back Sunday and Dashboard because of the lyrics. Like when you're when you're in high school, you're just listening to it. You're singing the lyrics because, you know, and then as I got older, I started paying attention a little bit more. I'm like, man, these are these are really good. Uh, obviously, some of them we knew like, yeah, this is, you know, pulling at heartstrings or whatever, talking about some breakup and stuff. But I, I enjoy like the writing of it. And, you know, obviously that was in my very formidable years of, of high school where that oh, yeah. really at attached to me. And even now, like I still just yesterday, I was listening to Taking Back Sunday, their Tell All Your Friends album. Like the, that's my favorite album of all time. And I'll forever listen to that thing. Yeah. For, same here, man. Yeah. When we graduated the same year. So like I was really mm -hmm. into the. And like my chemical romance and yeah. uh, bands like that so yeah i never shy away from anything that's just appealing to me and i'm sure the same way if it's if you think it's good music it's good music and yeah, yeah. and I, I that's kind of been a part of my development as a musician over the years like you just mentioned like i did not care when i turned 12 and started playing guitar until the time i was probably like 25 years old i did not care about lyrics I just cared about the music, like the guitar, the drums, the bass, what the song sounded like. And yeah, I would have like lyrics stuck in my head, but I never thought about their meaning. Now that I'm like approaching 40 and uh, I guess I have a little more wisdom, I think more about the lyrics. And uh, yeah, I get more fulfillment out of listening to music now just because the lyrics are a huge part of it. Well, for the longest time, whenever I would see you, you were just playing the guitar. And then, <laughs> and then, and then at some point I'm like, Oh, he has songs and he sings too. Like I didn't know that that you know that that was. I mean, I'm assuming the whole time you're playing guitar, you all you're also doing that. But I've never I never noticed it because you're always just up, you know, a, a big part of a band, whatever the band was, and, and somebody else yeah. is singing. You know. Yeah, that's how I was growing up, and uh, I, and then once I started to, like dabble with songwriting, it really made me respect songwriters. Uh, because I thought you know this got to be easy. It's like you're know, writing a poem, but then I'm like, wow, how, how do these people write these like complex these lyrics? And uh, um, I've, it's something else I'm trying to develop. I never really early on I didn't feel comfortable sharing them. Now I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable um, sharing songs that I've written with uh, and singing them. Um, and Toledo, like I don't know if a lot of people know, but this area has a great music scene, both for cover music like party bands and things like that, and also uh, original music so and all the people are great that i've met so they've helped me kind of come out of my shell a little bit and uh, not keep everything to myself so you know i i did i because jake is is so heavily involved in the music scene like i've i've been to a lot of places and seen a lot of different local bands and stuff and one thing i did notice because he was and you know i think at some point everyone is part of those cover bands and and because that's that's what people there's just like regular old Joes that work at nine to five. They want to hear the music that they know, you know, they don't necessarily want to hear this guy that grew, lives in Perrysburg and has an album and you know, that that's very specific. So a lot of you musicians are involved in cover bands, but it's very hard to simultaneously be in a cover band and do your own thing. Like I, you can do it, but just follow, just watching Jake, Jake made a shift at some point to say like, I'm, I'm going to do some cover stuff, but I'm also going to focus on uh, more heavily focus on my thing. Cause, it, cause he even said, and, and you know, Jake, Jake is, you know, really against the grain in a lot of this stuff. So, but he realizes like, yeah, I got to play some cover music. Cause that's what kind of pays the bills a little bit. And then I can do this other stuff. For sure. And I think 
it goes back to like fulfillment too. Uh, as a musician, I used to get so much fulfillment out of just being like provided an opportunity to play my guitar in front of people, even if it was like Perrysburg, like a pep, pep assembly or something like that. I'm like, I get to do this. I've developed this skill enough where I can do this and feel confident about it. But then, uh, and, and then cover songs, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a good way for uh, extra income to make money and you entertain people. But I think um, artists like, like Jake or people who write their own music or their own uh, lyrics and things like that, you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I'm playing other people's songs. I'm, I want to, I want to share my own. So Jake, I think Jake's found an awesome balance between the two and it's cool to watch him. He's definitely like, uh, musically a mentor and it's awesome to watch him expand and definitely go against the grain too and he's helped push the music community local music community forward so that's really awesome yeah he's uh, super involved in that and and lucky for me he's been able you know he's he's helped me you know and i've i've uh he's put my my uh stupid podcast logo on some on some shows we've done just because i helped him produce them and that kind of stuff and you know but to see especially what he's done with the listening loft like that is that like I've been to several shows there and it's, it's crazy. Like what this, th this was nothing. And now it's become this really like local thing that people really enjoy going to. Yeah. That that's amazing to watching what Jake's created. So I just came back. You are in, I think, you know, I came back from, I was in Syria for almost a year mm -hmm. and I would basically that year is pretty much when Jake really amped up Levi and Lilac's listening loft over there. And I think about halfway through the trip over to Syria, I was like, I would love to do that when I come home. Um, do you have any openings? And we we picked a date and uh, what he created there, seeing it through social media, through Facebook and, you know, just just through my cell phone was one thing. But then seeing it in person is just like it's mind blowing. So I encourage anyone who's watching this got to give props to Jake. Uh, if you get the chance, um, go out and check out one of those shows, regardless of whether it's music or comedy or some of the new, I think, skit style shows that they're putting on up there. It's It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and he's open to like, I asked him about certain things like, Hey, can we do this? Can we try this? And he's like, yeah. And, and you know, he's very smart. So even if I were to come up to him and say, I want to do this thing, like he's going to ask questions and make sure everything's going to go well. Cause it's still, you know, his space that he created and he wants everything to, to do well there, but he's open to ideas and, you know, having, having different styles of music in there, or like, like you said, comedy shows now, like it, it is a fun place and just to be a little bit a part of it, you know, is pretty neat. How, how was, uh, how was your show when you went there? Uh, so for me, it was like, that's the pinnacle of my, you know, I'm an amateur musician. I don't, I'm not doing anything serious out here, but like, that's the pinnacle of being yeah. a musician. Usually you're performing in places, sports bars, things like that, where there, yeah, there may be a lot of people, maybe there's 200 people in there, but they're often like eating dinner, watching TVs and, you know, communicating amongst themselves. What Jake has set up is, you know, it's a listening event. They're sitting in chairs. All the chairs are oriented towards the stage. And uh, he gives you this great introduction. Um, and I, I've never been as nervous as I was that night before I walked out. He does this introduction. And I was behind the curtain with my bass player friend, Byron. And uh, Byron never gets nervous either. He's like, calm down, man. Do you got experience? <laughs> and then right before we walked out, I looked at him and saw the nerves on his face. And I knew I was in bad shape. Like, Byron has played Ashanti and some of the biggest things in music. And I'm looking at him and he's getting nervous. And I'm like, oh, no. But went out there and for like the first 10 minutes was almost like a blur to me. I was, my nerves and my adrenaline were going, uh, it, it was wild. But then once things calmed down, I just kind of soaked it in and it's the best musical experience. I've uh, probably best social experience I've ever had in my life. Um, being able to share the stories and the songs that I wrote and have people, um, just sit there and watch and, uh, 
react and interacting with the people. And another cool thing is uh, it's a ticketed event. So you have to go out and uh, kind of promote it and sell tickets. And all these people that were in this room, I would never, they're all from different aspects of my life. Like uh, the military, church, music, um, people I haven't seen, you know, in years and having them all in the same room at one time was just kind of mind blowing to me. I kept looking around at all these people that I never expected to be together um, listening to me play but it was an awesome experience. The fact, like the way what he's created up there is like magical. It's it's awesome. Yeah, it it, it is a, a cool experience when you said it's like the pinnacle. I remember when I used to do stand up comedy a little more regularly. Like when so when so, someone paid me twenty bucks to like host the show one time, and I'm, and I was like, man, this is it. Like I, I'm cool now, man. Like you know, it, this is it. Like to have people there for you again that's probably why you were nervous but it is like this great feeling like it, it's okay. it's it's everything you're working towards uh is is paying off in this one moment you know and it, it might be a hundred people but at that point those hundred people are the most important people right now because they're they paid to see you and you alone your name is on that sheet you know and it was therapeutic for me too as well a lot of the songs i write are just about life experiences some good some bad and being able to Usually I'm sitting in this room right here in my basement, just doing it in a in a vacuum by myself and being able to broadcast that to all these people in like face to face was just it was I don't know, it was a surreal experience. So well, that's cool, man. I'm glad congratulations. I'm glad you know you're able to do that. Uh it it is it is a cool thing. And you know, it's it's not like there's a show every night there. Like these are these are, you know, picked picked shows by Jake for a reason. So that's it's a cool opportunity. I'm excited to get out and see. I haven't seen one yet um, other than the one that I performed at. So I'm really excited to go out and uh, if you do another comedy one, check it out or some of the musicians that play there and get the, get it from that ex or get to experience it from that perspective rather than all the nerves and being up there. <laughs> yeah, man. It, it, someone asked me if I got nervous before I do comedy. I said, I, I'm nervous every time. But as soon as I start talking, I know I know what I'm gonna say like and then it, it goes away it's just the build-up to it i'm sure that's how it was you do you mentioned like you know after 10 minutes you're like all right well this is just me playing music and now there's people watching me yep yeah and you get after the first song i i intentionally picked the first song that i was going to play was be like one that i'm extremely comfortable with and it wasn't technically hard to play on the guitar so mm -hmm. that you know i could just kind of relax a little bit and that that helped out a lot but yep after the first song i saw the people i i it, it was dead silent in there when i was playing and that's something i'm not used so like hearing some clapping some like some positive reactions afterwards i'm like okay this is okay we can get through this <laughs> like, can someone clink some glasses and put a football game on while i play i <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can feel more at home and um, it's also like the nerves those, those experiences i try to tell my daughters this i'm like they're like how do you speak in front of people and how do you like sing songs in front of people i'm like it's it's a horrible experience at first because you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone but I try to teach my kids and even like my the soldiers that I mentor that are, um, you know, junior soldiers, like any chance you get to push yourself out of your comfort zone, whether it's public speaking or, you know, with fitness, anything you can do, it, it develops you as a person. And you, it's, I don't know, you reap the rewards of it and it's all about being fulfilled, I guess. But I enjoy those types of things. I also feel like if you're not nervous a little bit, or second guessing you, then it doesn't mean a lot to you. Like, like then you can go out there and just mess up and you're like, well, whatever, I don't care. It, it, yeah. it means something to you to be nervous and to be scared. And like, because it's important to you to whatever you're doing, like you said, it could be, a, it's a lot of different stuff, whatever you're doing, you want to do it well, 
not just for you, but more specifically for whoever your audience is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned you have uh five daughters. That's so crazy. I, I yeah, I uh, I have one daughter. And we even said, like, if we, my wife said, if we had her first, we probably wouldn't have any more children. Like, it's it's a it's a lot to handle. But how how? Uh, hey, a couple things. Day to day life is, you know, even just five kids. Let's just leave the daughter part out of it. Just five kids yep. in general is a lot. Like, it's a lot of work, a lot of communication, and throwing the top of that is, you know, you just talked about being in Syria for a year. Like, you're gone. A lot like th- there has to be i mean your wife is a rock star but there has to be like things set up for all this stuff how do you just manage manage everything like let's say you're at home you're not you're at home and there's a lot of things moving parts here there's a lot of communication that has to be happen it has to happen it's just like our household just like yours i'm sure it's just like a living breathing animal it's like it's like a well-oiled machine um yeah like you mentioned my wife uh, he's she's a rock star i couldn't do anything without her but to me uh yeah, we have our routines. It's normal. So I don't, I've never, I don't know anything else. So to me, it's all um, the year away. That was like the biggest test of our family. And uh, I was so nervous. I knew before I had to leave for a year, I knew like several years in advance that it was going to happen. And I knew it would probably be my last trip overseas. And I had so much anxiety about it. And, and it really wasn't for me going overseas. That part I'm used to, but leaving my family back at home and, you know, my wife being, we really don't have family local either. Our closest family is about an hour away. So it was challenging, but I was blown away at how she was able to do it, how she was able to juggle so many things and uh, stay positive. And it was a challenge and um, it's wild. It's wild, but I enjoy it. Like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine not having kids and being in a, in a quiet household. I don't know what I would do. I, although it's crazy, it's chaotic. Most every night are, our bathroom drains get filled with hair regularly, but it's just, it's amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I have, I don't know how you do with that, but our, our tub is older in the, like, there's not really a stopper in there or anything to catch his hair. So what I do every I don't know, couple of weeks is there's an old toothbrush in our, in our shower and I stick it in the drain and twist it. And then I pull out the longest hair like ever. And it's only, there's only two people that have long hair in this house, oh. but it's a, yeah, a couple of times a week. And I, and, and I'm, I'm kind of impressed on how big these things can get. Yeah, it's wild. And then it just like falls out. You don't even know. It just falls <laughs> out. Brains like you never see it happen. But yeah, usually about every week here, I bought this little because I tried every trick in the book. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I tried a toothbrush, but I like clothes hangers, all these little plastic devices. Uh, but I found something that's like a little um, plastic basket and you put it in your bathtub drain. And that's been pretty awesome. But every week I have to I have to clean that thing out. And it's not just hair. It's like hair like covered in slime and it's like some <laughs> ghostbusters i'm like how does it happen over a week but that's pretty gross but, yeah. <laughs> but I part, guess. part of life yeah part of life uh <laughs> um you uh you've been in the military for, since what since you're 18 like was this yeah. was this 20 and a half years yep okay god dang, that's a lot that's a long time oh. i mean you can be can't you be retired by now yeah, I can. So out of my 20 years, three of those years were like reserve time where I was still in, but I wasn't serving in a, uh, like an active duty capacity. So I could retire now, but I'm going to I'm going to do a few more years to get a uh, full like active duty retirement. So okay. technically. Yeah. OK, so uh, what made you join to begin with? Because it is it, it, I mean, we talked about us being in high school and obviously um, 
the time that you decided to join was shortly after, you know, a few years after 9-11 and where I'm assuming that's, that was a big part of it, but is what, what was the main like thing? Cause that, that was, I, I had no, I had family members in it, but that I knew like, that wasn't like me. I, I maybe, I, maybe if someone would have forced me to do it, I, I could have done it, but I, I tip my hat to anyone who wants to do that. Cause that I knew I couldn't do it. I would like to say that like I joined because of 9-11 and, you know, I wanted to go fight for my country. But at the time that I joined, it was it was more for personal reasons. Uh, Obviously, 9-11 affected me a lot because I was a junior in high school and I watched everything that happened uh, that morning on TV. So that was impactful. And I knew what I like signing up meant that I would be involved with, you know, the conflicts that were kicking off. Mm -hmm. But uh, for me at the time, I was kind of like lost as a person, not, not really lost, but I didn't know where I wanted to go in life. I had just, uh, moved. I, I lived with my mom my whole life and my stepdad. And I just, uh, moved to Perrysburg. I moved in with my dad. And, uh, when I was a junior and I just like, didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't think I was ready for college, which looking back on it, it was a smart decision because I don't think I would have been successful in college. I wasn't really like into the academic part of high school, um, or just school in general. Later on, I started to enjoy a little bit more, but I wanted to go find, something that would give me a little bit of discipline and help me kind of, you know, establish myself in life away from uh, my family and kind of build something on my own. So, and then choosing the branch was difficult. I remember being uh, a junior at Perrysburg in my first like six months living up here and just, um, I had some, I had some uh, extended family that were in different branches and I talked to them and I was like, I don't really know what to do. And um, I, I heard that the Marine Corps had the hardest, basic training or boot camp so i was like i want to try that i want to see if i can make it through that so i joined the marines um and as far as like choosing a job and what i wanted to do i thought maybe later in life i would go into law enforcement because i have some it's another thing I, I just didn't know um i kind of my dream of being a celebrity musician it kind of like <laughs> drifted off a bit so I'm like what do i have to do that's realistic here and uh, i thought about law enforcement a lot so I chose to be um, going to the military police field in the Marine Corps and they uh, in the Marine Corps, they take every job field. So like police, um, they'll take like military police and break it down into individual branches like corrections. Like you're going to work in the prisons or um, field MP, field military police officer. Where you're out in the field with the infantry guys all the time. And so I got put in corrections, which meant my four years in the Marine Corps is all going to be prisons. So and then soon after joining, I realized that you know, civilian police departments and law enforcement, they don't necessarily like that really, it doesn't really matter that you were a military police. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. I was like, this will be a good decision. But Well, that's what I remember. My, my dad would talk to me about it. Um, and I would talk to my uncle who was in the army and, you know, he's like, they would say, if you're going to go into military, know what you want to do. Because if you don't know, they're just going to put you where they need you, and sure. and it might not, or where they need, where yeah, where they need somebody, and, and it might not, it might be, you're working on tanks. Well, how is that going to, how's how you going to do something with that after the fact, you know? So if this is the route you want to go, choose something, you know, which which is still a big decision because, uh, yes, college is one thing. You're paying for all this money to go to school, and then you got to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. But it sounds like it could be the same thing here. Like, what do you want to do, and is this a possibility and then when you're asking that question to a 17 year old like my brain wasn't fully developed i don't feel like i even matured as a i was like late 20s i made all my mistakes and got into all my trouble and did my stupid stuff in my early 20s so at 17 years old i didn't know what i wanted to do 
Um, I looking back on it, I'm really glad I made the decision. Um, and my dad helped uh, kind of guide me. He did, he wasn't in the military, but he kind of helped guide me, and he agreed with my thought process that I needed something. And I'm glad I'm glad I did because I probably would have ended up at like BGSU and failing out my first semester. And but that was me. That was me. <laughs> which I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah life especially in my early to mid 20s i learned a lot in my life from like crashing and burning and learning the hard way unfortunately but that's all you know you gain wisdom from it all but yeah yeah I would, that's a piece of advice i would give to any any if you have any listeners that are maybe in high school and they're thinking about joining the military like take that extra time don't rush into it try to think about what you want to do in life or even just a general um you know general idea of what, what the path you want to take because there's hundreds of hundreds of options out there um in the middle yeah um how many times have you been uh been deployed uh, i've been deployed to combat zones three three deployments and then i spent two years in okinawa japan which wasn't a deployment i was just stationed over there um what are there any was there any at any time i know at, when you're over there especially in the middle east and in combat zones you're you're there has to be something in your mind like well, I could die. Like, are I mean, I, or maybe you don't because you shouldn't think that way. You can't think that way because it's going to mess up whatever else you got going on. W- were there times where you're like, was there any time where you're like, yep, this is it because of what's happening around you? Yeah, there was. So, and, I mean, and, and again, I, I, I don't want to, you know, if you don't want to talk about this stuff, that's fine too. I know how some people are, especially being in the military, you know, with PTSD and all that kind of stuff. I, it's very interesting to me, but I just want to make it known, like, like, as long as you're comfortable talking about this stuff, please, please go ahead. Absolutely. I'm, def- I'm comfortable talking about it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the questions. But um, so when I, I did the four years as a prison guard in the Marine Corps, just a little bit of backstory. And that job was not really a deployable job at the time. Um, they changed later changed it to where you could deploy in that MOS and work in prisons overseas. But that's one thing that turned me off about it because I joined the Marine Corps. Um, and like I said, I didn't join because of 9-11 or like I wanted to go fight. But once I got in, I became a part of the fraternity and the brotherhood and all this camaraderie. I was like, I want to deploy. I want any chance I can get because it's a rite of passage for Marine, soldier, airman, sailor. So I didn't get my chance in the first four years. So I switched over to infantry into a uh, National Guard unit, Army National Guard unit in Ohio. And right off the bat, they said, we're deploying. So I was like, I want to go with you. Um, and that was my first deployment was to Kuwait and Iraq. And I did convoy security where I was just like a gunner up on top of a Humvee. And I never really, I mean, I there were some thrilling moments. We found roadside bombs and things like that. But there was never a point where I always knew every day, like I could die or I might have to take someone's life. But I was never, there weren't really any times during that deployment where I felt like I was in imminent danger. Um, a couple of years later, we came back from that one in like 2009. And then 2011, it was a pretty short turnaround. We went to Afghanistan. And that was the first time where I felt, uh, I had the feeling of like something bad is going to happen. We lost, uh, we had three soldiers, senior soldiers that were killed in a, um, a suicide, a suicide attack basically it was, um, a kid had a, a vest strapped to him with explosives and he found them. They were out patrolling in the town where our base was. And it was a target of opportunity. I don't think he set out with the intentions of attacking Americans. It was, there was some other plan, uh, in place that the Taliban had come up with, but they, they found that opportunity of the Americans out there, they attacked them and it killed three of our soldiers. And I remember that, um, like that day, I just felt like imminent danger. I'm like, okay, like this is going to keep happening. This is going to be a long deployment. Um, it didn't, it didn't continue to happen, but, uh, that was the only time where I felt 
like, oh man, this is, this is it. And um, Syria. So yeah, we came back from that deployment in 2012. And then I just, I didn't deploy again until last year in 2022 for Syria. And there were some, there were some moments close to that where I what definitely felt an imminent danger um, with some of the Iranian militias that were launching attacks over there. But and that never quite is never had that feeling quite as strong as I did when I was in Afghanistan. But when you when you're out there and you you know you tell that story of losing three soldiers, like how do you do you go on because you have to? Like how do you how do you mentally just like keep trucking, like keep going, and it, it, it'd be so difficult. Yeah, it is. It's because I think the way you do it is just you're with a. You're not there by yourself. You're with there with a. Um, I'm. I was in a platoon of between thirty and forty people, and our platoon was in a company. So you're there with all these people, and that's really how you do it. And you see, uh, you see people react differently. Some people break down, but in the end, we know um, this happened. That attack happened to us. We got into Afghanistan and like around January. The attack happened in April, and we knew we weren't going home until like July or August. So you pretty much. Uh, you spend you spend a little bit of time mourning, but um, you have to. There, there's there is no like I, I want to go home. This is too it was too much. I need to go home. That that isn't like an option. So you just kind of you just figure out different ways to get through it. Um, yeah, and it it definitely affects people differently. I thought I was I'd never experienced anything like that. So uh, my platoon was actually out at the same time it happened. When I came back to my base, our uh, platoon leader who was he's a lieutenant, very like this guy was you're i don't want to use the term jock like your stereotypical tell he's like used to be a football player wrestler just very uh alpha type male figure and he was crying and when he was sharing the news with us he was crying so to me that was that alone was like kind of shocked my system i'm not used to seeing this guy cry and um and then i'm just kind of processing and keep it all in and i went to eat dinner that night with some of the guys in my squad and we're just eating and you know it's kind of quiet we're all trying to figure out how to process it and it just i just started crying i didn't like it just came out of nowhere so like it's natural i mean the emotions are natural and uh and that's why you hear a lot like people that have never been in the military or experienced trauma like that that's why a lot of people come home and you know they have those lingering issues i think because you're with this tight group of people a large group of people overseas going through these unique experiences sometimes traumatic sometimes not but then um you come home and usually everyone's good for the first few months, but then six months passes and the like, you know, the the joy or the excitement of being back home sometimes wears off and it affects people differently. Some people turn to alcohol, drugs. Uh, some people just handle it as a part of life and they uh, they continue to drive on and do what they have to do. But um, a lot of people struggle. So, and that's that's been a constant challenge throughout the history of you know war, I guess. Yeah. I think it's the the stigma of mental, you know, as opposed to the Vietnam veterans and World War II veterans and things like that. Like the mental health stigma is kind of going away where now the the U.S. government, the military are really trying to support the people that are struggling with that rather than, you know, kicking them to the curb. So that's that's awesome to see. I was trying to do the math, but if I did it right, uh, which is in my strong suit, I think you had. Uh, your oldest daughter when you were over there in 2009 to 11 or whenever that was? Yes. Uh, she was born soon after I came home. Yep. I got okay. to come home. Came home midway through that tour. 
um, for two weeks of leave. That first deployment, I don't know why, but we got two weeks uh, during the deployment to come home for like R&R. That's the only deployment I had that luxury on. But yeah, she was born um, soon after that one. What Did you notice um, any difference in yourself as far as your decision making or risk taking or whatever after you had kids? Um, that was weird. Well, the, after that, <laughs> we had our oldest daughter and then a big gap between the, the rest of the daughters. And when I first came back to that deployment, I didn't notice it at the time. But I mean, looking back on it, that, that was a period of my life. It was about a one and a half to two year period where I was just like out of control making. Uh, I, th- I don't think I was dealing with stress properly. And I would, you know, I had all this money saved up, too, as well from the deployment. So it would just like I, w- I resorted to alcohol. I drank too much. I went out to bars and just that's where I got my like stimulus, like, I guess, stimulation from just hanging out in bars and that turned into bar fights that turned into like a lot of trouble for me. And luckily um, uh, I had family support that helped me get through it. And really the, I told you it was a short turnaround from my deployment, first deployment to the deployment in Afghanistan. And I, at the time I was like, this sucks. We're going right back out on another deployment. But looking back on it, it kind of, I think it helped save my life because I was just on a path of destruction. When I got the notification for that deployment, it kind of reset my clock. Um, I was able to stop doing all the stupid things I was doing. And that's where I feel, I feel like as a man, that's where I started to gain some wisdom and realize what, what's important in life. Like when I have a family and have kids, then I need to do this the right way. I don't need to be out like getting into bar fights for no reason and just drinking alcohol all the time. And I do drink now, like social or casually, but not, not the way I was doing it in that period of my life. So, uh, that, that small fraction of my life was, I was taking crazy risks, um, doing things that I'm not proud of, but I do like to share it, especially with new soldiers that join the military. I share all the mistakes that I've made. And I'm like, just, I'm telling you guys this, not because like, Hey, I'm the old guy. Now I'm the old army guy. Now that's been there and done that. I'm sharing it. So you guys learn from my mistakes, but now I try to, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I take a whole lot of risks. But, now you're old. So yeah, I am. I am old, especially in military years. Like being close to 40 is like grandpa. I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there are people like that. I, they get you get such ridiculous nicknames. Uh, I I remember I was playing flag football, and there was a guy. I think when I was playing, we we're in in our mid twenties, and there was a guy that was like mid thirties, and that's what we called him, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like I, this is your podcast, but I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I feel like I've never, I was never really involved in organized sports in high school, but I, I, I think there's probably a lot of similarities between like the way the military is ran specifically for me in the infantry, we run squads and teams and you're trained to just fight versus like the mentality of a, of a football team. Like what's your approach to coaching? How do you, I don't know. That's so, a, I know that's an open-ended question, but no, 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 it's good. Cause um, me, me personally is if, if you were to ask the players that I coach, I, I'm a tight ends coach. Um, so if we're talking specifically about football, uh, but this kind of pertains to a, a, like anything I'm coaching. I, I used to coach track. I used to, I mean, I'm coaching softball right now. I've coached baseball, but I've coached all kinds of stuff. But specifically for football, if you ask my the the players, they would say I'm 100% a player's coach. Like I am for them. I want them to have a good time. You know, I want them to succeed, all this stuff. Um, so I I am in, I ask them questions and I and make sure they understand everything that I'm saying. And if they have any issues or anything that they can, that they can come to me and ask me questions and know that I will, if I don't know the answer, I'll find it for them. 
but I am a resource for them. Uh, it's they are playing the game. I am here to help in any way I can. And for mostly, um, for most of that, it, it is me wanting them to to have fun because that's what it is. Ultimately, I keep telling them like, hey guys, this is a game. Like it, there's going to be hard times and there's going to be times when I yell at you and, and other coaches yell at you and you know. But but this is, it's a game. I want you to have fun. I want you to smile. If you cry, I'll be there to hug you. If like all these things happen and I'm there for you as much as you want me to be involved. And some of them, you know, there's, there's a kid that I used to coach when I was a wide receivers coach. He's, he's an assistant coach for us now. He graduated. Um, but you know, we would go out, we went out to dinner a few times and, you know, and now we, we get to share those experiences together as a coach and I, I'll be involved as much as outside of football as you want me to be. Or if you just want me to be your football coach, I'll be your football coach. But I learned a long time ago that they they do like to communicate. And if you, as long as I'm open with them, they will be open with me. And right now their form of communication is Snapchat. So if I'm on <laughs> I'm on Snapchat with them and I play Fortnite with them. I play video games with them sometimes. And you know, I just want them to to understand no matter what happens inside of football or outside of football, I'm there for them. If they need me for something, I will help them with with whatever with with whatever they need. And and that, I want them to know I'm I'm in their corner. That's like very similar to the, the approach I take with military leadership. The only the only difference is one's a game and one's not a game. But 100%. I've learned a lot, especially through the, uh, this last deployment to Syria. Was, I was uh, put in a position as a company first sergeant. So I was like the senior enlisted member of this infantry unit. And we were sent to support a special operations unit, which was very cool. But for me, it's like my first two deployments, I wasn't really a leader. I was just a soldier you know, following others, this one, I'm the senior leader. So took a lot of, it took me a good 30 days to really settle into that. And, uh, but yeah, like what you were saying, uh, communication is huge when it comes to leadership or coaching and mentoring and, uh, not just saying, Hey, if this is what you have to do, go do it. Um, yeah. learned a lot, really learning the, learning the soldiers that I work with, like what they enjoy, um, what motivates them, um, how to, how to get them to respond in the military. Sometimes, sometimes you tell someone that they have to do what you tell them, but I don't want people to, I don't want my soldiers to respect me because of the rank that are the, the stripes that I'm wearing. I want them to respect me for how I conduct myself. I'm like the person that I am. So, yeah. 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 I, I never tell, I never tell the players because every year that we get new sophomores that don't know me and, or they know me a little bit because I'm around Parisburg, so you know, sports so much, but I never, unless they Google me or look me up, like I don't tell them that you know, my accolades I got, you know, I just want them to know that this year I'm coaching you and this is all you got to worry about. You know, that's the other stuff's not important. Uh, I, I had a question about you being a leader in the military. Do they ask you if you want to do that or do they just say, Hey, you're doing this and you're in charge. Uh, because, both. Okay. Both. Yeah. The, the reason I asked is because some people don't want to be leaders. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're, it's both. And sometimes there are situations where there is, they call it like the next man up where, Hey, this guy's retiring. He's getting promoted. You're taking the position. Um, and then there's also times where there's times where you can kind of decline. You, typically, if it's there's no time sensitive event going on, you're like, hey, are you interested in this position? So it's a little bit of both. And I've had both happen to me. Um, once I took the initial step of accepting a leadership role as a young like sergeant, I enjoyed it. I made a lot of mistakes, but I I enjoyed enjoyed it and i've accepted every one that's been given to me i i look at it as an opportunity but on this this last deployment to syria um for me it was we we went to el paso texas fort bliss to train for i think it was about two months 
And my senior leader, my company first sergeant was one of the best. I mean, he's the best leader and mentor that I've ever had in the military in my like over 20 plus years. He's um, just his demeanor, the way he conducts himself, the way he communicates on the on the civilian side. He's uh, like a regional SWAT commander. So he re he manages like this joint task force SWAT teams. He's always in these high stress situations. But I learned a lot from him. I was so excited to deploy uh under under his uh leadership and then about two weeks before we flew over to the middle east we found out that he another unit he was getting promoted to the rank of sergeant major which is like the senior enlisted rank in the army and they were taking him away from us and then he had the conversation with me he's like you're the you're the next man up you're taking my spot and you're going to syria and i was just like i expressed my concerns i'm like I've been training with my platoon. Like we need you with us. He's like, it is what it is, man. Like he's like, I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't have put you in this position if I didn't think you could handle it. And so that, it was mixed emotions for me. It was like, awesome. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be a, like to do something like this. But at the same time, like talk about being pulled out of your comfort zone. Um, and then it was like a trickle down effect. Like the, when I, I moved out of my position, someone had to step up and take that one on short notice and, there were some growing pains, but looking back on it, it's one of the most rewarding, most rewarding, challenging experiences I've ever had in my life. I've learned if you want to be a leader and these opportunities come up, you're going to take them. And there's, there's always, there's always problems or issues arise or whatever. And, but that's how you, like you said, that's how you learn, but you take them because you know that there are, this is what you want to do. And, you know, the higher you can go, the better for you, the better for your family, the better for the people underneath you, like all these things happen for the better because you are, you know, you talked about, it. you talked about it when you were mentoring your kids, you're pushing yourself, you're pushing yourself, getting out of your comfort zone, knowing at the end, it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah. And it's also cool in the aspect of, uh, I remember being a brand new private in the Marine Corps and having zero, I have my, I had no circle of influence. Like no one cared what I said at all about any decision that was being made. I was a number, do a job, go do it. Now, the higher you go up in these leadership levels, um, you always hear people complain about leaders in the military. Like, oh, that guy doesn't care about us. So like the higher I've been able to go up, I feel like I want to stay in tune and uh, you have more influence on some of the decisions that, that are being made. Um, at the same time, I realize like still don't have the influence I'd like to, but uh, um and then, and then sometimes the higher you go up, I'm not sure if it's like this in coaching as well, but the higher you go up in the military, it starts to open your eyes to why other people made decisions that didn't make sense. Like, oh, man, okay, this is why this guy made a decision that nobody liked. Um, and yeah, in Syria, I had to make some decisions that I was used to being close with the guys and friends with all the guys, but I, there were some decisions I had to make where they just weren't popular with some people, but they had to be made for the better of the organization and the group. So that was that was a struggle for me, but... Well, that, yeah. you know, not so much football, but just, you know, in, and uh, it makes me laugh because we're talking about leadership and, and that's all I'm talking about. But the two examples are the military and working for a county park system. So there's a little I different, mean, but it's yeah. all like leadership, right? Yeah. Um, so, but, but the same thing, like, as you go up, you, you're right. You see, like, you know, or just talking to my boss and saying like, well, yeah, I had to make this decision because of X, Y, and Z, and you understand it a little bit more. Or just a very small example, we had to change how we did our scheduling, um, and I do the scheduling for my staff, and I had to change because we needed more night coverage. So that means all the people who signed up to work 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. now have to work 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And they're like, wait a minute, you know, that contractually we're allowed to do that, and I'm sorry, but this is the way it is. And 
And I always tell them, there's going to be time. I want you guys to have fun. I, I want you to, I'm going to put you in positions in the work that you want to do, because I know you like to do it because there is going to be times where I tell you to do something that you don't want to do, but hopefully yeah. it outweighs. And that's the same thing here. You know, I talked to the staff, Hey, we're doing this. And they agreed that it sucked, but they also agreed that this is for the betterment of everybody and the betterment of the park and the, and the, and the park users. So as long as you can be that person that understands them and uh, understands what they want and helps them get what they want and do the fun things or do the jobs that they like to do, then when those bad times do come, they're still bad and they still suck, but they're less because they know you mean you want the best for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, in the military. We said we use the phrase embracing the suck. Yeah. I, I got about this a little bit at the Levi and Lilac show, but embracing the suck as a group, you just, you acknowledge what what's about to happen. is not going to be fun. It might be sleeping outside in the rain and cold for two days straight. It may be something minuscule, but, uh, you all just look at each other and say, it's going to suck. Let's do it with a smile on our face and get through it because that's our own. So, and yeah, that, that translates yeah, to all different organizations outside of the military as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, well, Justin, I, uh, I appreciate coming here. I don't want to keep you longer than an hour. You got five daughters. I'm sure they're, they're trying to do something with you today. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, this is awesome. It was a great episode. Uh, again, someone who, I, I'm friends with and I can say hello and have a, a little conversation with you to sit down and, and talk uh, and learn more about you for an hour. It was great. So thanks a lot, Lorenzo. This has been a blast. I was super nervous going into it, but had a blast with you and I, I look forward to watching your future shows. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Justin Marshan, for coming on the podcast, telling us all about being in the military, having five daughters, learning how to play the guitar. Uh, his dad teaching him over the phone is wild to me. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if it's crazy to anybody else, but I always thought that I thought that was a a, a, a great story on how he learned how to play guitar. Um, check him out. Uh, I'm going to see. I, I will put any links to anything he has in the show notes. So check him out. I'm sure um, he's out there and he's always doing different shows at different local bars and restaurants. So um, check that out. Uh, tell him the Nerdball podcast sent you, and you'll probably get a high five. Uh, that's all I can say. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe a thumbs up. Maybe a cool. Thanks for listening. I will always tell you thanks for listening because you guys make this podcast go. Uh, if you have any issue, any, no, you shouldn't have issues. I hope you don't have issues. If you do, I guess you can email the nerdball podcast at gmail.com. Uh, or if you don't have issues, what are the, what's the opposite of not having of no issues? I guess I'm an idiot. Uh, if you have uh, awesome things to say, <laughs> hit us on social media. Uh, search the Nerdball Pod. Check out TikTok. Check out YouTube. All the things. Just search the Nerdball Podcast. As always, thanks to Real JP Multimedia, Perrysburg Junior High STEM Lab, Cuttlefish Graphics, and Big Daddy Graphics for always helping out the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.